Good morning. You guys doing well? Sounds like it. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 22. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World, subtitled. The title of this weekend's message is Rescued. Let me ask you a question. What's the worst case scenario you have ever experienced? I asked my wife that question. She said, marrying you. <laughs> I didn't think it was very funny. Okay. Actually, she didn't say that, but she did say, uh, she said she went to a trip to Kenya a number of years ago, and her and my daughter went down the white rapids, whitewater rapids down the uh, Nile River, and she fell in, and was, it was pretty scary, but she said that was worst case scenario. What has been your worst case scenario? What were your thoughts and feelings as you were going through it? How did you feel once you were no longer in danger? Someone gave me this book a number of years ago, Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. It's not a joke either. I mean, it's really, it's a serious book because it actually has some really good, uh, good insights. It goes all the way from how to escape from quicksand. That happened to me just this last week. Okay, obviously not, but how to break down a door. Actually, they show uh, typical to what I learned on the fire department. Uh, the big foot, wow, just kind of like that. that. That's how you do it. But you might want to try before you do that. Try the door, see if it's open sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> bust down the door. Hey, the door was open. What's wrong with you guys? Uh, how to break into a car. I don't know why you would need that. How to hotwire a car. Anybody know how to hotwire a car? Okay, there's a few folks out there doing that to your car right now. Uh, how to ram a car. The next time someone comes, you know, pulls out in front of you, you got to know how to do that, how to get them off the road. Out of the way. Uh, so it's just kind of really interesting how to wrestle, uh, wrestle free from an alligator, how to win a sword fight, how to take a punch. We teach all the guys that in premarital counseling. <laughs> how to jump from a bridge or a cliff into a river. How to jump from a building into a dumpster. Why would you want to do that? How to jump from a moving car. Don't ever do that. I, I found it interesting. There's another one here too. How to escape from a bear. Here's the steps. Uh, lie still and, and quiet. Yeah, yeah. How, how are you going to do that with a bear over the top of you? <laughs> Stay where you are. Do not climb a tree to escape a bear because they can outclimb you is what they basically say here. And if you are lying still and the bear attacks, strike back with anything you can. Go for the bear's eyes or its snout. What? And then uh, make sure that you can outrun the people you are with. Okay, it didn't actually say that. I made that one up, but that's what I'd be thinking. Can I outrun these folks here? But uh, interesting book. I, I wanna, wanted to show you a, a video of a young man who is in certainly one of his probably or maybe the only worst case scenario that he experienced. I want you to watch this on the screen. 
It was the video from earlier this week some people could not believe, and yet most of us couldn't stop watching. A motorcyclist trapped under a car that was on fire, and the good Samaritans who lifted the car to get him out and then kind of cautiously backed off and waited for medical attention to arrive. Well, tonight that young man saved from the fire is talking for the first time. Our report from NBC's George Lewis. Brandon Wright has multiple fractures in his right leg, a fractured pelvis, a burned left foot, and scrapes all over his body. And he's in a lot of pain, but extremely grateful tonight. I just, just wanted to thank all the heroes that put their lives on the line to save mine. I'm forever in debt. I can't thank him enough. Heroes who saved him from this. Brandon, in and out of consciousness, pinned beneath the car that hit his motorcycle, rupturing the gas tank. I came to for about five seconds while I was under the car. And I just screamed a couple times and like threw up some blood and that was lights out again. Brandon says when he first saw the video of the rescue, he couldn't believe what he was watching. Everyone swarms in and picks up the car and then I see my my body and I just look I look dead and that's that's unreal to see yourself like that Brandon's doctors say he might well have died if his rescuers hadn't moved so quickly he's expected to make a full recovery doctors say it'll take a couple of months on Tuesday when some of the rescuers met reporters they said they were uncomfortable being called heroes it's second nature if you see someone in trouble you help them Brandon Wright has some advice for them. They should get used to it. They're definitely heroes. <laughs> to risk their life for a complete stranger, that's what makes them so special. And he wants to meet them and thank yeah, them in person yeah. as soon as that's he's able. George TV. Lewis, NBC News, Murray, not, Utah. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing uh, rescue story? And that's, that would be a worst-case scenario end up underneath the car and then have a group of people lift up the car to pull you out. I thought that's a really a great analogy for small groups. You see the small group that was there to rescue him? They, they were bystanders, but I don't know how many times, not obviously uh, literally, but figuratively, I've had small group brothers and sisters pull me out from under cars that were on fire. And, uh, and so, worst case scenario... Worst case scenario. Here's, I think it's on your notes there. The gospel is about us being rescued from our worst case scenario, not just in the temporal. Many of you came to faith in Christ because you had faced a worst case scenario. Maybe it was financial or relational or physical. You're sick or, you know, facing death, got that cancer diagnosis and you came to Christ, so it's more than just that. It's the gospel is about us being rescued from our worst case scenario, not just in the temporal, but, but more importantly, the eternal. I'm sure most could probably quote this verse, John 3.16, how many think you can maybe quote it? For God so what? Love the world that he did what? Gave his son, his only son, that whoever does what? Believes in him would not what? Perry, stop there just for a minute. Would not perish. Has it been a while since you've thought about that? That you would not perish. He saves us from perishing. What are we going to perish from? Actually, when you understand the scripture, we, we are going to perish from the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And he saves us from 
perishing, and, and the consequences of us uh, rejecting God, that's how we're going to perish. We've, we've turned our back against God, we're going to do our own thing, and then inevitably we're going to perish. But he doesn't stop there. We'll not perish, but have what kind of life? Everlasting life. Pretty amazing. We'll talk a little bit more about it here. So here's what I, kind of the thesis statement of our, uh, of our study here this morning. The more you see your dire condition without Christ, and that's, that's a miracle. That's the most important miracle, the best miracle of all, that you begin to see your, your dire condition without Christ, worst case scenario, kind of where your life is headed. And maybe your life's going well here right now, but you know that ultimately you're going to die, and where will you spend eternity? So the worst case scenario would be spending eternity separated from God. And so the more you see your dire condition without Christ and the magnitude of his provision, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, really the personal work of Christ through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So the more you see your dire condition and the magnitude of his provision, the more you'll experience life-changing joy proclamation. You will want to proclaim the good news to the world. First Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Dire condition apart from Christ, magnitude of his provision. Oh my goodness, he has rescued me. Did you notice the response of this young man that was pulled out from under the car? Well, that's nothing compared to what Christ has done for us. And so when you understand that, living the reality of it, there's this unspeakable and glorious joy. That's where we're headed with our study this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray, and then we'll dive into our text and unpack these notes. Let's pray. Father God, you loved us so much that you sent your son, not just, not just to rescue us from peril, but to give us eternal life. This eternal life is not, not only a quantity of life, but a quality of life that is incomparable and indomitable. So God, through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would increase our capacity to know and experience the beauty and the glory of the person and work of our Savior, that through his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, we would have fullness of life, giving us an unspeakable and glorious joy that ruins us for anything else. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, <clears throat> amen. Let's take a look at this text. Wonderful text. Uh, just verse 18 is, if you took this verse alone and meditated on it, it's very profound. And uh, as you well know, the context is that these folks are uh, under heavy persecution, and, and basically, Peter is showing us how the gospel gives us the resources to be able to get through anything, to face anything, and so that we're not burned up, burned to a cinder through the fiery trials of life, but we become as pure as gold as a result of what's going on in our life. In, in verse 18, chapter 3, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now he's uh, gonna go to two verses here are probably the, the most complex, most obscure, most difficult to understand verses in the New Testament. We'll spend uh, the end of our study talking about these. We'll spend a lot of time talking about these, but we'll spend a little bit of time. And verse 19 says, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. 
because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So it's really talking about Noah. You guys familiar with the story, Noah and the ark? And the few that were saved, the rest because of God's judgment upon this earth through the flood. So that's what he's talking about here. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, so that's Noah's family, were brought safely through the water. So he's using that. That's an analogy of water baptism. Water baptism, obviously, um, it gives us, it's a, um, it's a part of our salvation. It it's, it's doesn't save us. But what it does, in fact, I've got it on your notes, it's, a, it's baptism and communion are symbols that proclaim our salvation. That's the very last point that we're looking at. For some reason, I couldn't think about what I was trying to say there just for a moment. But, uh, and then verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. So he's going to, how many are familiar with baptism or regeneration? You guys know what baptism or regeneration is? Okay. Just a couple folks. There are those that would teach that you're not saved unless you are baptized. That's called baptismal regeneration. Now how many are familiar with what I'm talking about? You're not actually saved until you're baptized. We don't believe that. We believe that it's just a uh, dramatization, demonstration of your already faith in Christ. You're, putting, you're making that public. And he's making that very clear right here. Verse 21, saying baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, what? Wait a minute, he clarifies that, not as removal of dirt from the body, so it's not actually the act that saves you, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. So you've already made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes that pretty clear. For by grace are you saved through faith. So it's not by the works. So he goes on here and he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. So these verses, verses 18 through 22, can be divided up into really uh, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. You see that in these verses. And then also the, the very last, we'll talk about proclamation that obscure part, verses 19 and 20. Um, when we talk about the person and work of Jesus Christ, this is what we're talking about. Is that when I, oftentimes you'll hear me say, hey, is your heart, has your heart been smitten by the beauty and the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ? This is what it's about. And so if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? And I'll ask that to people quite, quite regularly and I find it interesting that how many Christians, they, they claim to be Christians, that they don't really know what the gospel is. Then I often wonder, well, how can you actually be saved if you don't know what the gospel is? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't, I'm not sure. But you need to be able to articulate the gospel. I'm going to articulate the gospel here really for you. In fact, here's the gospel. You want me to give it to you? And then we'll kind of unpack this. It's just that we are sinners saved and rescued not by our works, but by Christ's works, by who Christ is and what he's done for us. That's basically the gospel message, that we have been rescued, rescued from peril and given eternal life through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. Uh, John 3.16, as we described earlier. So now let's walk through this. And so how does the gospel rescue us from peril? How does it do that? First of all, you've got crucifixion. And so verse 18, for Christ also suffered. This is unbelievably profound because no other belief system 
even comes close to this, that our God, the God of the galaxies, came to this earth and suffered and died. No other uh, religious God out there would, would dare to do that. And yet our God suffered. It says, for Christ also suffered. Now check this out. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Who's the righteous? Jesus. That was a little weak. You guys with me? There you go. Yeah. So the righteous is Jesus. Who's the unrighteous? Just look around. Yeah. The Bible has a way of leveling the playing field. So if you come in here thinking you got it all together more so than others, wrong. You're, you're classified as the unrighteous. He's the righteous one. And so we all, we all struggle. We all have issues. We all are desperate for him. To the degree you understand that is to the degree that you're going to come to him and receive all that he has for you. So it goes, once for sins, in other words, it is finished, the work is done, the righteous for the unrighteous, that what? That he might bring us to God. So what we have here is the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. Big theological word, but it's profound. And being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Before I give you a couple fill in the blanks, I really want you to understand, for Christ also suffered. God so loved us and hates suffering that he was willing to come down and get involved in it. See, it's called the incarnation. It's, it's breathtaking. And in fact, on the cross, Jesus was suffering not only with us, he knows our pain, he knows our suffering. He's not some distant deity, deity detached from us in our times of difficulty. If you could understand, understand that alone, that he's a father of compassion, a God of all comfort, and he's with us through our difficulties. So on the cross, Jesus was suffering not only with us, but for us. And not only that, but this verse, verse 18, this is God's greatest revelation of his justice and love bringing us to himself. Listen to what uh, Tim Keller Pastor, theologian, says, this is a quote from him, he says, the wonder of the cross is that in the very same stroke, it satisfies both the love of God, that aspect of his nature that seeks our justification, and the justice of God, that aspect of his nature that demands the punishment of sin. Therefore, he is just, and yet he can justify because... Having punished Jesus in our place, he can forgive us freely. The cross does not represent a compromise between God's wrath and love. It does not satisfy each one halfway. Rather, it satisfies each fully and in the very same action. On the cross, the wrath and love of God are both vindicated. They are both demonstrated. They are both expressed completely, and they both shine out and are utterly fulfilled so that's powerful. And oftentimes, if, when you listen to the, the Christian community in America today, they tend to emphasize one to the exclusion of the other. Well, why can't God just forgive us? Yeah, God forgives everybody. And so they kind of emphasize that to the, to the expense of his justice, that he's a just, holy, righteous God. Then you got the emphasis that, no, God's just. 
He's holy and he's righteous to the exclusion of his love towards us. And so you've heard me say this many times before. I actually want you to be able to memorize this and recite it. Because when you look at the cross, this is what should come to mind. You and I are more sinful than we ever dared to think. We were so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. He's a just God. Can you imagine if... God forbid that if you had a family member that was raped and murdered and then you went to court and the judge just let the person off and you're in the courtroom and he just says, oh, we'll just all forgive this person and let him go back out on the street. Well, yeah, we'll forgive him, but he better not go out on the street. And, and you need, justice needs to be served. And we're outraged when we hear of stories like that, particularly if it hits home. And so God's a holy, righteous, he's just, but at the same time, he's justifier. That's profound. So I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think when you look at the cross. I was so sinful Jesus had to die for me, but don't stop there. I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. He loved me so much he wanted to die for me. See, that's what ultimately transforms our hearts. That transforms our lives. That invades our hearts. That's powerful. I mean, when you understand that, it, it eliminates, first of all, superiority. If you're ever around people that come off like they've got it all together and they're better than you, they don't understand the cross. They don't understand uh, grace. Or if you feel like you're cowering towards others, you don't understand grace. So there's no towering or cowering. You're not going to walk with a swagger or you're not going to snivel about life because you've got his grace. So it creates a wonderful balance. Now, let me give you a couple fill-in-the-blanks here. God has rescued us from the penalty of sin. And that's what that means. It's called justification. And I gave you some verses there that you can study on your own through the, as you work through your growing notes. Romans 3, 21 through 26 are really, really wonderful verses that help you to understand that. You guys are familiar with this, for this, uh, these verses or this particular verse that's right in the middle of that, Romans three twenty three. for the wages of sin is what? Anybody? Yeah. Is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and that verse 26 of Romans 3 talks about God being just and the justifier. So by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, we experience an immediate status change. So check this out. So when you put your faith in Jesus immediately, you went from an enemy of God, an object of his wrath, to being his sons and daughters and heirs of Christ, with Christ, of the unsearchable riches of God. Amazing. Here's the next point in your notes, is that we have unlimited access to the presence of God. This is perhaps the most important and the best thing about the Christian life, is that we have unlimited access to the presence of God. Now, we recited John 3.16, and in that it defines eternal life. Let me define eternal life. It doesn't define eternal life. It just says that you have eternal life. You don't perish, but you have eternal life. Now, let me give you a definition for eternal life. It's John 17.3. It's there on your notes. You guys familiar with that, John 17.3? It says, for this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what it's talking about there, this knowing, how many would agree with me that you can know a lot about God and not know God? Show of hands? Yeah. You can recite a lot of verses, you can know a lot about morality and still not know God. So eternal life is knowing God walking with God, it's experiencing God, it's an encounter with God, it's a, it's a hard experience based on the objective truth of who the Bible defines God to be. 
And that's, that's important. And there's something that begins to take place in your life. There's these stages of maturity as it relates to your interaction with God. And typically, it, it, it starts like this. It starts by, you, first of all, you recognize, I have the very presence of God. I have access into the throne room of God. Because, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. I mean, do you understand that? You have the presence of God. You can know the eternal living God of the universe, not by trying to earn it in some way. You could never earn it, but it's been given to you as a gift. It's a gift from God. So it kind of starts by talking at God. We kind of recite prayers. We parrot prayers. And then it moves. The next stage would be we start talking to God. We start sharing our heart with him. And then the third stage would be we start listening to him. He starts speaking to us, and we know he primarily speaks to us through his word. But there are verses that begin to stand off the page to us, and we have this interaction with him. But here's the best, the best, the fourth stage. Just being with God. Just being with him. And that you know that he will always be by your side. And when you begin to know, when you begin to know the one that, when you know who it is that walks through your day with you, Never to leave your side. Nothing can ever separate you from his love. Oh my goodness. That's wonderful. That's why I can relate to the psalmist in Psalm 84 when the psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs. It faints for the courts of the Lord. Oh my, my soul longs for your courts. My soul longs to know you, to experience you. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now listen to me. There is no amount of money. There's no fame. There's no relationship on this planet. There's no car. There's no trout out in Lake Pleasant that you could catch. There's no big boat. There's no toys out there that even comes close to this, to the joy of his presence. That's why I love Psalm 1611. It says, in his presence is what? Anybody know? fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. It's talking about this, the presence of God in our lives. Oh my goodness. Oh, I pray to God that you would have eyes to see that. Every week as we gather together, we're reminded of that. I love what uh, A.W. Tozer challenges us on that. Listen to what he says. He says, for millions of Christians, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christian. Over against all of this cloudy vagueness stands the clear scriptural doctrine, scriptural doctrine that God can be known in personal experience. A loving personality dominates the Bible. But why do the very ransomed children of God know so little of that habitual, conscious communion with God which the scriptures seem to offer? The answer is our chronic unbelief. God and spiritual and the spiritual world are real, but sin has so clouded the lenses of our hearts that we cannot see. The great unseen reality is God. You've heard me say this before too. God is our most satisfying reality. Nothing can rob you of the joy of his presence except for idolatry. Idolatry is loving anything more than you love God. So... So that's the first. When you look at the crucifixion, we've been set free from the penalty of sin, so that's the implication, justification, and the application is I have unlimited access to the presence of God. Now, the resurrection, verse 21, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So the resurrection not only validates Jesus' deity, how do we know that he was God? Well, he, raised, he rose from the dead. That pretty much settles that. Yeah, but I don't really care too much for what he has to say. He rose from the dead. He's God. I mean, game over. It's like, I'm following him. This is God in the flesh. So he validated his deity, but he also conquered Satan, sin, and death. Here's the next fill in the blank. God is rescuing us from the power of sin. So he has rescued us from the penalty of sin, and, and this talks more about sanctification, about, uh, about wholeness that he's wanting to work in our lives. And he's setting us free from the power of sin working in our lives. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, basically is Paul is praying for Christians. He says, I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. And he goes on and works through a number of things and he gets down to, so that you could see the immeasurable greatness of his power working for us. Romans six eighteen talks about the fact that he sets us free from sin. Now what is holiness? Because that's what it is. We've talked a lot about this, holiness, wholeness. Um, number of definitions that you've heard me use. Holiness is someone who is so happy in God that sin has, uh, has no appeal anymore. Here's another definition. Holiness is being so content and complete in Christ that no trial can overwhelm you and no temptation can overpower you. Romans 8.11 says something that's it just has always been very stunning for me. It says that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead you guys know how the rest of that goes? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is where? Dwells in us. So the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you if you have indeed put your faith in Jesus. That's, that's crazy. That's supernatural. Now, I don't often live in the reality of that and I can usually kind of tell because I kind of get you know, I get kind of stressed out sometimes more than I should, especially for someone that has the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in me. I mean, I don't oftentimes demonstrate that. I get pretty ticked off and angry and upset and stressed and depressed and all of these things. And so what I've got to learn to do and what you have to learn to do is that you got to, first of all, you got to quit medicating all of that trauma that's going on in your life because typically we we chase after things that will help to medicate or we try to minimize it we shove it down inside of us we suppress it rather than say hey you know what i am pretty ticked off about this what's going on and then what we've got to do is it's actually the kind of the next point we have uh we have unlimited access to the power of god and so what we've got to do is begin to apply learning to apply the truth of god specific to where our hearts are most restless so if i were to sit down with you I think women are more in touch than men. Most men have, are totally clueless when it comes to why they're ticked off or why they're angry or whatever. Just kind of buried down inside of them. But we've got to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm really stressed right now. Or why am I, why do I, you know, grab for, for, for me, I, I shared this last night. For me, it was always by the end of the day, I was stressed out and I would put myself to bed with a big old bowl of ice cream. Not just a little bowl, a big bowl, Okay covered with chocolate, nuts, and whipped cream. <laughs> Feeling better already. Yeah, baby. And then I finally realized, it, and my wife actually was the one that helped me to realize this. Why are you eating that? I didn't, didn't you get enough for dinner tonight? No, get off my back. 
can a guy have a little fun here before he goes to bed? You know, so I begin to realize, it's like, what are you, stressed out? Yeah, I'm a little stressed out. So why are you going to ice cream when you have the eternal living God? Now, yours might not be ice cream. By the way, that's the reason why I don't dare drink because I'd have been a raging alcoholic. I have enough issues, okay? I'm not going to add, I'm not going to complicate it there. So I don't even touch the stuff, never have. Don't need to, I got enough issues, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. So we all have issues. You're medicating that. I know you are. You're, you're, you've got some sort of coping mechanism. That's why he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according, according to his good purposes. That's Philippians 2.13. So it's, it's his empowering presence in you, enabling you to be what he wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do. You guys are familiar with uh, Philippians 4.13. I've seen it on mugs and coffee mugs. I've seen it as plaques. I've heard people uh, totally abuse this verse. You guys are familiar with it. I can do all things through who what? Yes, I can play NFL football. Not if you're five foot and weigh 98 pounds. Probably not going to happen. But that's not what that's saying. Actually, the context is really talking about discontentment in, in, in all kinds of adverse. It doesn't matter whether it's good days or bad days. You have his ability to, to deal with whatever you face in life. The, in other words, the good days are leaveable and the bad days are durable because you have him. That's really what it's saying. The, the circumstances are inconsequential. They don't carry as much weight in your life because you have him. So regardless of what goes down, and that's, and that's the point. So we have unlimited access to the power of God. So, so, so let me ask you this, and I've been doing this a lot here lately, is that is my response to this person, crisis, or circumstance consistent with someone who knows that God is for me and not against me? So what are you facing? And are you in touch with the anxiety or the anger? You know, if you see someone you haven't seen for a while and your just anger meter just pegs. <laughs> I can't stand that person or whatever. Why are you so driven? Why are you so defensive when someone brings something up? Why are you so discouraged? See, all those are signs that you've misplaced your identity and God is giving you opportunity to apply the truth of who he is specific to where your heart is most restless. His supernatural power working in your life to face anything. How would you respond to that negative person in a way that would be God-honoring? How can you experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, regardless of what goes down in your life, regardless of the people, things, and circumstances in your life. See, that's that supernatural, that's sanctification. That's all part of that. So, I mean, I, I look at both my negative, but also my positive emotions. I mean, I, I love watching. By the way, I, I heard what Darren said last weekend that I always take off. I take off every big weekend. I mean, that is a high and holy weekend for us football fans, huh? It was a big kickoff weekend. Yeah, baby. And I watched the Cardinals beat San Diego Chargers on Monday night football. Yeah, that was fun. But yeah, it was a little bit of a nail-biter. But here's the deal. that if, my, if I'm more excited about that than I am about his presence in my life and his power working through my life, then I'm jacked up. I'm not living in the reality of what he offers me. And I get excited about that, but not near as excited as I do about him. Or, 
or about my neighbor hearing the gospel message. If I'm more concerned about my, my team winning, oh, I was a nail biter. You should be biting your nails over your neighbor going to hell for all eternity. Does that make sense? See, that should be something that should be driving us more than anything. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I love football as much as you guys. And uh, no, I'm not going to paint my face up and act goofy. But uh, I'm not going to do all that stuff. But I love watching it. It's fun. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't even come close to his presence and power. Here's the third one, ascension. Verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Now, this is what's interesting. The disciples were excited about Christ's ascension, not because he was leaving, but because of its implications. Luke 24, 52 says, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So they just watched him go to heaven, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Why is that? Because the ascension was Christ's exaltation to glory coronation as king of the universe and the sending of the comforter to them, to us, and his interceding for us as our high priest. And look at the next fill in the blank, and this, basically it's saying this, God will rescue us from the presence of sin. So you got you got justification, God has rescued us from the penalty of sin, he is in the process of rescuing us from the power of sin, and that's uh, sanctification, now we've got glorification, this is heaven. God will rescue us from the presence of sin. You guys familiar with John 14, one through six, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm coming again to take you to be with me. That's a, those are great promises. So he's going to prepare this place, and he's gonna come back and take me to be with him. He's gonna take me home to be with him. Not only that, it tells us in Revelation 21, four, that he will sit down with me and wipe away every tear from my eye. There'll be no more pain or suffering. So this is the hope of heaven. Therefore, we never have to fear death. But it's more than that. It's just more than the hope of heaven. It gives us hope here on earth. We have unlimited access to the peace of God. It's the next fill in the blank. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I to you. So he's saying that the world has a peace, but it's temporal. I give you a peace that's eternal. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, nor be afraid. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 really help us uh, with that also, uh, it it's talks about rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He, he says a number of other things in that. Hey, where are you guys going? Don't be walking out on me while I'm teaching up here. Okay, go ahead and get out of here. You guys had things to do, didn't you? Oh, you're going to be handing out communion. I'm sorry. They're the ones that are going to be sh sharing with us communion. That was not nice of me, was it? Okay, you won't be doing that the next service? Okay, yeah, you guys will be over there and there'll be another group that I can yell at. So we have unlimited access to the peace of God. Those looking at Jesus as he was dying on the cross had no idea that they were witnessing the greatest act of salvation in history. The cross is evidence that in the hands of the Redeemer, moments of apparent defeat will become wonderful moments of grace and victory. I know that some of you have gone through really, and some of you are going through really, really traumatic things right now. And I'm telling you that we serve a God who can take our crucifixions and turn them into resurrections and ascensions. That's the point here, is that we, we can look at our circumstances and they can seem so hopeless 
And you need to know that our bad things will work out for our good and our truly good things can never be taken from us. His, his presence, his power, and his peace, that will never be taken from us. Always enough to help us to face anything and the best is yet to come. And maybe he won't reveal that to you this side of eternity, but in eternity he will and you will go, wow, that is amazing. And that's the hope that we have. Peace is not the absence of problems, but confidence and rest in God's loving wife's control of my life. See, what, I, what we have to do, I have to stop being a control freak and accept the fact that I won't have all the puzzle pieces this side of eternity. Some of you still struggle with a lot of the things that didn't fall together for you. So you've got to stop wrestling and start resting in his loving wife's control. Worry is belief that God is going to get it wrong, and bitterness is believing that he did get it wrong. You're just bitter at God, the way things are going. You've got to trust his loving, wise control. Let's summarize this and then we'll move on. Almost finished. So you got crucifixion. God has rescued me from the penalty of sin. I have unlimited access to the presence of God. Resurrection. God is rescuing me from the power of sin. I have unlimited access to the power of God. And then ascension. God will rescue me from the presence of sin. And I have unlimited access to the peace of God. Everybody look up here just for a minute, okay? Some of you are kind of fading off there a little bit, okay? If your expectation of God's blessings that I just mentioned depends on how well you feel you're living the Christian life, then you don't understand God's grace. It's not based on how well you're living the Christian life. Because you aren't. Especially if you're trying to do it on your own but it's based on what he's already done for you and that's what begins to transform you. You don't get your act together and then come to Christ and then he blesses you. He blesses you and that's what transforms your life. These are all of ours. What I just mentioned, this is the gospel and this is what transforms your life. And it's out of that. So if my life isn't lining up with what the Bible teaches, it's because I'm trying to narrow that gap between my, my spirituality and my reality. And you're just needing to allow him to give you that supernatural power to continue to overcome those obstacles in your life. Now, here's the proclamation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, verses 19 and 20. Remember, I said this is pretty obscure. It's pretty hard to understand. It says, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought uh, safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but, all, but as an appeal to God for good conscience. This is uh, as good conscience. This is what Martin Luther has to say the great reformer. He says, this is a wonderful text, the most obscure in the New Testament, and I have no idea what Peter means. <laughs> I, like, I like his honesty. I gave you a couple texts at the front end of one. There's at least a hundred different uh, perspectives of this. I gave you, I'm going to give you two. One is Luke 16, 19 through 31. It's the story of rich man and Lazarus. Many believe that before Christ, before Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, the people went to this kind of holding place. It was called Abraham's bosom. And there were two compartments. There was Hades and paradise. And then in Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, talks about Christ ascending on high and he led a host of captives and he took the, those that were in paradise with him into heaven. And we know that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So now when we die, we go to be with the Lord. So that's, that's one perspective. You can study that more. But here's the perspective of Wayne Gruden and St. Augustine. 
And they believe that it says here, it would be better uh, stated, he went and preached to those who are now spirits in prison and who formerly disobeyed. In other words, when Noah was preaching, Christ was preaching through Noah at that moment. So as I'm preaching this morning, Christ is preaching through me, through what I'm saying. Ephesians 2.17 makes that clear. And he, Christ, came and preached peace to you. Well, he didn't actually preach peace to them. It was Paul that preached peace to them. Well, Christ through Paul. 2 Peter 2.5, it says, Noah, a herald of righteousness. So if he was a herald of righteousness, then he was preaching through the, the power. Christ was preaching through him. So, but hey, okay, okay. <laughs> Some of you really got lost on that one, but don't miss the forest for the trees. Just as Noah climbed into the ark, saving him and his family from the floodwaters of God's wrath and judgment, here's your next fill in the blank. If we will climb into Christ, our ark, we will be saved from the floodwaters of God's judgment and therefore have all we need in Christ to face all the lesser floodwaters of life. That, that's the point. James Dunn puts it this way. He says that uh, verse 21 is the nearest approach to the definition of baptism that the New Testament affords. What is baptism? Baptism is a symbolic expression of the heart's appeal to God. Baptism is a calling on God. It is a way of saying, God, with our whole body, I trust you to take me into Christ like Noah was taken into the ark and to make Christ the substitute for my sins and to bring me through these waters of death and judgment into new and everlasting life through the resurrection of Jesus, my Lord. So here's the next point in your notes. Both water baptism and communion are symbols that proclaim our salvation. Our next baptism will be in a month, a little over a month, October 25th and 26th. You can sign up. And our next communion is this morning. Let me share with you a story as we prepare our hearts for communion. True story. January 1982, if you're old enough, as I am, you will remember this, Air Florida Flight 90, trying to take off from Washington National Airport. It hits the 14th Street Bridge, goes into the icy Potomac River, and when the rescue helicopters arrive, there is only a tail sticking up. And there's only one guy who looks like he's aware because people are already kind of going to sleep in the cold, icy water and dying. How many are familiar with the story? Okay, more than I, I thought. Some of you are old like me, I guess, and remember that story. There was one guy they could see swimming in all of that, and every time they came up to him and lowered the cable, he went under, grabbed somebody, and put them on on the rescue rope. Then they came back for him and he kept putting other people on three, four, five times. The last time they came back, he was gone. It was Arlen Williams Jr., a 46-year-old federal bank examiner. The article I was reading the other day said, man, the title, Man in the Water Man in the water dying, dot, 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 so that others could live. That's the gospel. <laughs> he had given his life to save five people, the only people who were saved out of 79 on the flight. He had died doing what? Substituting himself. 
giving them his place of deliverance. He took their destruction that was coming upon them. He gave them his rescue. Why does a story like that move us and stir us? Because it's the gospel. When we see sacrificial love overcoming evil, it's just the gospel message. When we watch movies and read books, <laughs> it's pointing to the ultimate rescue, you and I. Worst case scenario, we're going to be eternally separated from God and Jesus Christ came to this earth and rescued us. Rescued us from peril, not just rescued us from peril, but gave us eternal life. Amazing, amazing. Let's, let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion.